The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travellers Down Thunder Road. It is us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, here as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. I am your host, your captain on the good ship Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my ever-faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this fine evening? I'm in very good form, thanks very much. Um, yeah. happy, happy to be vice captain on this apparent ship. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> We're going to the the concepts are going to get far more fantastical. So buckle the fuck up because I'm starting to run dry on on the things I can be upon Thunder Road, my friend. And hopefully, as captain, you don't run us into dry land on this uh, episode. Yeah, ho- hopefully not. I think the show will do enough to. to, <laughs> to, to it's it's a big enough iceberg to talk about at some points. Um, yeah, how have things been since our last uh, since last we spoke, my friend? We're we're uh, careening very quickly towards our uh, our appearance on behalf of this podcast at the Overhausen Open in just a few weeks now. God, yeah, it's only what two weeks away. Best. As we're recording this, it's a bit. Uh, it's it'll be two weeks away on Thursday. So, so uh, yeah, just it's about sixteen days for yeah, us. Jesus. It's yeah. getting close. And a sentence I didn't think I'd have to say this young in my life. I have to order some wigs. <laughs> I'm well beyond Karen. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, like, to be honest, I was thinking about it and I was like, if I don't order wigs for us, literally the extent of my costume is a blazer and a tie. <laughs> so, like, I'm going to have to do the blonde. I, I'm, uh, the, I'm the only one that's gone all over this and... Like, oh yeah, mo- yours. How's the tash coming in? Oh, the tash is in. The tash but is in. I also have a, a uh, goatee underneath at the moment, just so I look relatively normal, as normal <laughs> as I can look anyway. Yeah, yeah. And not walking around with a nonce tash for a couple of weeks. I, now, are you going to shave it before we go, or are you going to shave it while we're there, or are you going to do the ultimate last minute thing and run into like the bathroom in the bowling alley while we're there, shave oh, it to a mustache, and then and then before we leave the bowling alley, shave off the tash as well. <laughs> I hadn't considered that, but that could be an option. Uh, no, I'm, I'll probably shave it at home and show up at the airport and walk around the airport next to you. <laughs> Proper showing up as a, like, have you seen this man photo? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great stuff. Great um, stuff. I, maybe if I get an independent t-shirt, I'll look normal. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. We're, we're going to support evil Tom Selleck himself, David Starr. Mm-hmm. Uh over the weekend so you will play it will actually look like you're just a massive fanboy rather than like a some sort of 
creep. <laughs> <laughs> it would be hard to look like a creep at a wrestling show, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, it's hard to still, like, you're really, that's a needle in a haystack sort of thing there, isn't it? After the things we've seen this week, especially on Twitter.com. Oh, uh, God, it's best not to dwell on that. If we're going to dwell on any week on Twitter.com, it's got to be Judas and Bubbly Twitter week. Which uh, what was a week that was. A fantastic week where Chris Jericho just took the world over by storm. Um, Can we actually talk about that? Chris Jericho doing a promo in a uh, hot tub while wearing a scarf. Yeah. So, yeah, th- it kind of all happened after our last recording. I was able to get the Bubbly reference into our intro because I hadn't edited yet. But, like, the vast majority of Bubbly Twitter had happened, like, after we had already mm. stopped recording. And yeah, uh, Jericho getting uh, drunk in his rental limousine, going to a steakhouse, losing the belt in a duffel bag. And, um, and the best part is, apparently it's not even a good steakhouse. It wasn't like an expensive steakhouse. No, it's like no, a chain. Very, I'd say decide, decidedly like Applebee's level. Uh, although, that's said, I had a steak in Applebee's once and it was it was pretty okay, actually. <laughs> but there you go. It was just okay. I mean, yeah, it wasn't fucking w- filet mignon now, but it was. It did, did the job. This is a wrestling world champion pulling up yeah. in a limo. <laughs> Something I found considerably un- unacceptable on my visits to America is that almost everywhere I've got mashed potato, it's like lumpy. Yeah, they don't do mash, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not having that. If you ever taste my mash someday, Lee, it's like a cloud. Oh, I love creamy mash. Yeah, that's that's the only way to do that, it. And like, you're a real son of a bitch if you try to ruin mash by leaving lumps in it. Here's one thing for you. This is what I was brought up. My my mom would make mash. She'd put milk into the mash. Yeah, ah. milk, milk, salt, and if the potatoes are a little new, a tiny bit of butter as well to to make it that bit smoother. Dave, keep it up, and I have to marry you. I know, right? <laughs> um, I know. My my granny sometimes puts in actual cream into it. I've heard of that, yeah. I've never actually yeah, tasted I, it now, but I've heard seemingly of it. that is where the obviously the phrase the, the, the term cream and potatoes comes from, mm. which makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I've never personally done it anyway. But we've uh, we put this off long enough, my friend. Uh we'll be getting into our our feature event, Spring Stampede nineteen ninety eight in just a second. But we gotta go through what beverages we're rocking uh for this episode and Lee Unfortunately, it's another night where you work tomorrow, so you are you're born to be mild tonight, I believe. Uh, well, I I just finished the coffee. I had to have a coffee because I am awake since four o'clock this morning, and it is now half nine, ish. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a long, long day. Uh, so I just finished the coffee, and I did actually just before we started recording, crack open a Miller. So I'm not doing oh. anything too fancy. Yeah. But I I am having a beer because it is days of thunder. Yeah, I'm not going too fancy myself, and I thought this might have been the first week where we matched up, because I myself, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm holding a sweet Rockshore here. Ah, damn. Uh, I noticed my Rockshores that I think I had bought way back around episode two or three time, I still had like one or two of them left, still and sitting. They're, going, they're going off in about a month, so I, I better, the next couple of episodes are going to be Rockshore heavy, my friends. <laughs> Um, we're nothing if not predictable on our beer choices. exactly so as I said we're here to talk about Spring Stampede 1998 dated April 19th 1998 to be exact coming from Denver Colorado um, which I believe is the highest altitude major city in the United States which we would um, be reminded of many many times yeah and you know for better or for worse um, I want to say up top cheers to the absolute piece of shit WWE Network uh, because every time you know I said there's going to be a moratorium 
uh, on talking about this, but it was particularly egregious as I was trying to watch Spring Stampede, even compared to the last two episodes of Thunder. Um, chief among my concerns. Now, thankfully, I have seen a lot of these shows, and I, I you know, having read around WCW, I know a lot of what's going to happen, so I couldn't really say spoilers. Uh, but every time I pressed play or resume on this pay per view, I, I watched it in about three sittings. Um, <laughs> it went straight to the end, like literally right <laughs> after the finish of the main event. <laughs> So if if I was just one of the Thunder Buddies and I was following along and I wanted to see, you know, oh, you know, I, I want to, yeah, I want this all to be a surprise to me as it's happening completely out the window here. Um, so yeah, thanks WWE Network, you absolute garbage fire. That's where you may have seen a fairly sweary tweet I, I threw out today. Uh, that was me while I was trying to finish off this show. See, I would have been pissed by that because I did not actually know the finish to this main, to the uh, main event. Yeah, I had kind of there was a like about a couple of minutes before the end. If I hadn't twigged already, I would have twigged. But mm. uh, I was pretty sure I thought this was the match where this happens. Um, but anyway, we will get into that um, later on in the program. Uh, we opened we opened up with a like a bizarre uh, video package that it felt like a fan made video package from the early days of YouTube. It's got this like. <laughs> Uh, weird letterboxing aspect ratio and the letterboxing has barbed wire on it and there's this weird kind of there's a a bed of music underneath it that I can only describe as porn music (laughs) and like I feel even in saying that it probably does a disservice to that music because it was hideous yeah this intro fucking it was horrible um it was black and white. It was all about the NWO drama. There was nothing else featured in it. It was like a lot of Hogan, a lot of Nash. And yeah. yeah and a bit it, of macho. It just fucking, it was bad. Like, this did not get me pumped up for the pay-per-view at all. Yeah. And it's, you know, obviously our our um, our view on this podcast only extends to the, the, the st- past the, the start of Thunder and towards the end of Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know how long necessarily the NWO family drama was going on before this, but we're on our fourth pay-per-view now, I believe. Uh, and it's still going on. And based on this pay-per-view, it's not over. <laughs> not by a long shot. No. And it, it's it's just <laughs> fucking, it's, it's a drag at this point. <laughs> yeah. And effectively, from what I remember of the, like the, the, the kind of the timeline of WCW, the year or so that we kind of get off without an NWO is arguably the worst year WCW has uh, it, oh, but we'll you know again we're, we're jumping the gun here on this I'll tell you what I may not have loved the uh, the opening video package Lee um, and this may be this may come from the part of my brain that loves really hokey bad stuff in wrestling but fuck me I love the set and the presentation of this show uh, I, I have the same thing written down I adore this set the spring it's, stampede like it just it's so fucking brilliant this is what I want in pro wrestling do you think it's because we've been starved so long of having custom sets for anything but like a Wrestlemania that we're just like anything, even this, which is admittedly very campy. Um, the, the spring stampede, it's like a full ranch and, and a barn where the doors, barn open doors where yeah. the guys come out. Uh, there's the bit- a stagecoach to the side, which plays into events later on in the program. Uh, bales of hay, fencing as if there's like cattle or some shit. 
Um, and yeah, there's like all sorts of um, the Chirons and stuff have like branding irons mm-hmm. and just old West font. And yeah, I was I I really really like this. Yeah, I, I I got into an argument on Twitter last weekend. Shocking, I know. That's, um, that's very unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all about the WWE shows at MSG. Yeah, and basically like how the set was just the same, and MSG just felt like any other arena in America, which it does now. It just there's nothing special mm-hmm. about MSG, um, and it just it felt like such a letdown after them building it up and building it up, and then yeah. you see this, then we watch this, and it's like ah. Oh, this this is wrestling. It feels unique. Like they're not going to have another Western set for the rest of the year. Yeah, it it felt unique. Give me um just from your your memory, your childhood growing up, um or your adolescence. What are some of your favorite non WrestleMania sets that you remember? Non WrestleMania, uh, Royal Rumble two thousand. The short, oh, yeah. the, the shortened uh, entrance in MSG. Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, I think it's a fucking it's a very rote answer for somebody from Ireland and the UK. But SummerSlam '92 with the big long entranceway. Yeah. Uh, obviously, LOD coming down on the bikes was like the coolest thing in the world at the time. Mm. Uh, God, trying to think what else. I I loved Backlash. The, Battle the, with the swinging sights. That's, the, uh, that's absolutely on my list. Uh, and then one other one that I did like was the um, King of the Ring, the big chair. Electric chair, yeah. yeah. That's one of my absolute favourites. And not just because Shane got thrown through all the, the, the panes of glass <laughs> the, around. The supposed to be sugar glass, which weren't actually fucking sugar glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just sometimes I still think of that really silly video package. It was 2001, wasn't it? Because like, my mind is spent. Yeah, that, my that, body yeah, is yeah. broken. Bring me to my throne. That one, yeah. yeah. Um, what about you? Is there any any other sets to spring to mind? So those ones, I loved the super, um, like the super tall Summer Sam set they had for a couple of years there. Uh, the one that Shane came off the side of. Um, Would that be what two thousand three, two thousand and it'd be two thousand and two thousand and one and maybe two thousand and two. They had relatively identical sets. For SummerSlam, I think 2002 it was shorter because 2002 was Staples Center. I think was it that was for Rock versus Brock. Brock yeah, Brock Rock. Yeah, um, Brock Rock. <laughs> uh, my favorite Daft Punk single. Um, <laughs> what else? I loved. I I don't love the era so much, but I really did like the Invasion set. I was just two separate entrances. Just about to say, just it sprang right into my mind before you started talking. I was like, oh, how did I remember the Invasion set? <laughs> Yeah, with the exception of the fact was it Trish that nearly fucking killed herself and had to be dragged out. Yeah, um, I yeah, think Lee, nearly fell and grabbed her by the hip or something. Yeah, so maybe if you were redesigning that, maybe put like plexiglass there. <laughs> I know that would stop the. Was it? Yeah, Van Dam did a, a Van Daminator yeah. to, to Jeff Hardy into the pit. Mm-hmm. Um, loved that one. I'm trying to think back. Um, what else I really liked? I, how, how do you feel the, about uh, the Arm- Armageddon 2000? The one that was like the the kind of like apocalypse, burnt out cars and stuff like that. Was that the one that Rikishi got choke slammed yes. onto the hay? Yeah, yeah. When he did it for the rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Seeing seeing as we are a WCW podcast, what do you feel about a, a ramp between the entrance and the ring? Yeah, I. 
it, it's tough because, like, obviously it becomes um, particularly the kind of uh, latter Russo era, era of Nitro has the ramp that goes straight to the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the pay-per-views have it as well. I think it was a slam... Which one has a triple cage? Slambery 2000, 2000, I think, yeah. Has it, yeah, where poor Canyon uh, takes that hideous bump onto it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, I like some of the WCW sets as well. Like, obviously, we were mainly WWF kids growing up, so they're the ones that jumped to mind. But uh, the Halloween Havoc, the classic Halloween Havoc set with the giant pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Come on now. We talked a lot about the Panama City, the pool party ones. Yep. Um, I probably wouldn't like so many of the human beings at it, but the the Sturgis ones, <laughs> like just the, the visual of the outdoor with all the bikes around mm. is really cool. Um. So yeah, yeah. Like there's, I just miss it, you know? Um, Every, more so, we, we've had this discussion before about like the, the kind of the custom sets and the pyro and I would like I would sooner say don't give me any more pyro for the rest of my enjoyment of wrestling if we can just have the custom sets back yeah like um, obviously I, I think I tweeted it out that I was watching the show with Connor for the most part from his son mm. and he watched a couple of the entrances and I can't remember who it was somebody came out under his pyro and he was like why is there fireworks inside <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it's it's pyro. That's what some of the wrestlers had. And he's like, but why? And he just couldn't grasp. Obviously, he's a modern day WWE fan. He did not yeah. grasp the idea that they had fireworks going off inside. It kind of it, it gives you perspective as to how long ago they they eighty six the pyro. Mm. That Connor has no memory of that being a regular thing outside of probably WrestleMania. You know, or the, um, or the Saudi shows, which are now bigger. Or even more important yeah. than WrestleMania, the the Saudi Blood Buddy shows, and as well the the Royal Rumble pyro when somebody wins as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's I, I I love the Spring Stampede set just because it was a bit different, and again because we've been starved of that kind of stuff. Um, Tony Tanay and Brain are your usual pay per view announced team, and they begin with a breaking development on the show. They have announced that Macho is having his cast off and will be cleared for the main event tonight. Uh, they've agreed as well that it will be a no DQ match in the main event. So, um, it why does it matter if the cast is on or off if it's no DQ? Well, I, you see, I think it was a thing, and not to take your continuity gimmick, I think it was more of, will Macho be medically cleared? Because it plays into later, they talk about the doctor being on the premises. But, so I think it's more him being medically past fit so that the company isn't liable. I think JJ said something like that. Um, not you know, I I'm sure we comb through uh, different WCW pay-per-views and things like that. There's definitely people who are at least in kayfabe working with concussions and injuries the whole time. And like I seem to remember that our first pay-per-view, Page had his his ribs taped up, and there was a similar thing that he was going to fight no matter what. Yeah, I was just going to say, wasn't it a couple of weeks ago that we had Page saying he'll sign whatever waiver just to have a tag yeah. match on Thunder. Yeah, and um, I believe Brain even mentions Paige's injury on the show at one point, uh, just to remind you of that. Uh, but Brain says, uh, and playing into something that the commentary would keep on harping on, because it is apparently the most important thing that we're all here for, is that he smells fear in the air for the NWO. He says while well, sniffing the air and confusing Shivani for not the first time, or for the first yeah. time and not the last time on the show. I'll tell you what. Brain has a great night tonight. He he was on the ball, wasn't he? He really was. I think we had a couple of a couple of months on pay per view where he wasn't necessarily at his best. But I have a I have a few quotes from here on this show that I very much enjoyed. There was one one cutaway in particular where um, I think they were setting up for the bat match, 
And yeah. you can see Tanay trying as hard as he can not to laugh at what uh, yeah. Heenan has just said. I imagine it is like one of the toughest things in the world trying not to laugh when Bobby does some shit. Because that's obviously what he's he's trying to do. You know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's great apocryphal stories about um, Will Ferrell when he was on Saturday Night Live about how he would try to get people to crack and it was very frustrating for other people because it was impossible to crack him. Um, and that's what I imagine it was like working with Bobby Heenan. Uh, but yeah, he has a great night tonight. Uh, what a way to kick off a pay-per-view league. Perry Saturn with Billy Kidman versus Goldberg. And holy shit, these people lost their minds for Billy Big Time. Oh, the fucking pop when he comes out. Now, again, maybe it's from watching modern day wrestling and not getting so much noise on modern shows. But Jesus Christ, yeah. as soon as the first beat of Goldberg's music hits, mm. their crowd go fucking bananas now i will say to undercut my previous point um his uh badass entrance is uh it's a little bit muted because of the barn dance aesthetic that's going on <laughs> <laughs> but i'll take that sacrifice because i know goldberg's a badass um Tanay points out in an outrageous stat that like this guy is this over he's this unbeatable he looks this good he's only seven months into his wrestling career <laughs> at this stage which is just, like, I know he wasn't, you know, the the gold standard people always point out for, you know, getting to grips with the wrestling business at a frighteningly quick level is Kurt Angle. Mm-hmm. He He's not the technical magician Kurt Angle was a year into his career, and he never would get anywhere close to as good as Kurt Angle was in the ring. But in terms of, as a total package of getting the superstar aura, mm-hmm. seven months in to be this this big a deal is fucking unbelievable, oh, you know? And he's not just another one of these big stiffs that gets a push. There is definitely... He has a lot of physical charisma. Yeah, I mean, to have the, have the crowd, every crowd, not just this crowd, but every crowd they go in front of, disinvested in what he does. It's, it's amazing, like, to, to see. Like, we've, we've tracked it, obviously, since the start of Thunder. Like, he's gone from having 50-50 matches with Mongo to this... In the space of what, four months? Four months, yeah. And he, um, this is by far the the longest match we've seen of his, and and I think he does he does very well here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Saturn kind of seeing that you know he needs to try and take him down and beat him early because Goldberg beats everybody else early. He uh, <clears throat> he tries to attack him from the bell. Uh, Goldberg just overpowers him, hits one of those badass-looking pump handle tosses, uh, belly-to-belly, single-leg takedown. Kidman tries to interfere, and uh, Goldberg is just having none of it. Gorilla presses him to the outside on top of Saturn. Um, Saturn tries to um, gain an advantage by hitting a leg sweep, and he hits... Like a really cool uh, rebound middle rope leg drop that I can't believe more people don't do. Yeah, that that really caught me um, by surprise. Um, I'd say I, I enjoyed Saren being the aggressor, taking it to Goldberg. Yeah, I, I think both men did their character a lot of justice here. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturn, that kind of like intense energy, uh, smash mouth style, and Goldberg, just this just juggernaut. Um, I will say as well, Perry Saturn hits one hell of a diving elbow. Yeah, one of the best, outside of the Macho Man, one of the best diving elbows. Yeah, He pisses all over CM Punk's. I was going to say, CM Punk can't do there. Um, Saturn, uh, 
it, the story of Saturn here is that he's showing his desperation. Like, he needs to stay on top because if he gives Goldberg even a second to breathe, he's mm-hmm. fucked, basically. Um, Goldberg, this, uh, in a really cool little reversal, Goldberg blocks a vertical suplex attempt by hitting, like, a sick gator roll. Um, Gorilla press slam, runs off Kidman. Uh, he gets guillotined in the rope for Saturn to get the heat. Um, one thing I noted in this match, Lee, uh, Saturn not only had the longest match we've seen so far with Goldberg, but Goldberg gave him way more than we've seen him give anybody else in this. Yeah, I was like I said, I was surprised. I was happy to see um, Saturn being the one taking it to Goldberg, but I was surprised how long the match actually went because I thought this would just be kind of a prolonged squash. But like Saturn got a lot of offense and he was fairly well protected. Um, yeah, because we had, um, like you said, you mentioned Mongo, where there are moments where it's a bit back and forth with Mongo, or the other one I was thinking of was Glacier, who had a couple of good kind of fire-up moments against Goldberg. Uh, but no one like this, where there are just points where like it's flat-out Saturn dominance mm-hmm. and Goldberg is on the ground selling. And not nearly as bad, you know, people often hit guys who who do the, the streak and the squash match gimmick like Goldberg as being utterly incapable of selling. Now, I'm not saying he's the greatest uh, seller of, of injuries in the world, um, but he's not bad. Yeah, no, it wasn't egregiously bad or anything. No, it was like it was fairly bog standard, you know, he's not winning any fucking awards for it. But he did fine for the little bits here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was believable enough. Um, he he also saved Saturn's life at one stage. Um, yeah, what what happened there again? I think Saturn was going to try and do an SIE moonsault to the yeah, outside. Yeah, it was something like that or like a springing elbow and he just slipped. And yeah, only for Goldberg he would have fucking broken something, I think. Yeah, I think Tanay saved it and said he did like a springboard elbow, back elbow or whatever. But yeah. I think he was trying for a moonsault because just looking the way he was kind of arching back or whatever. Yeah. And then he just slipped and got thankfully Goldberg kind of stepped into him and saved him. Mm-hmm. Um, Goldberg the thing about Goldberg as well as like winning match in dominating fashion is that all his shit looks really good there's one point here where Saturn applies a cross arm breaker and Goldberg break, breaks up the attempt at the cross arm breaker by just stamping on his head <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> that'll stop it alright <laughs> but it's got like his stuff looks good but it's got that amount of sloppy to it where it feels real it feels real. It doesn't feel like this is a guy who's bad at being fake. This mm-hmm. feels like this guy is actually fighting. Uh, very much reminiscent of, we were having this chat over the weekend in our little uh, group chat about um, Bloodsport, the, the GCW shows, mm-hmm. and about how, do you know, if you're a little bit sloppy in your standard pro wrestling matches, Bloodsport is the perfect, the work shoot style, uh, where you're kind of like, your lack of crispness can actually be masked as as kind of proper struggling and fighting, yeah. um, if, and, and that's kind of what Goldberg's got going on here. If it's too smooth, it just doesn't feel. It feels cooperative. Yeah. Now there was a point uh, towards the end here where Goldberg hits the ropes uh, a bit strange. Uh, I think they one or both of them lost where they were supposed to be at this mm. point in the match because I imagine again seven months in Goldberg is probably having his matches almost bell to bell laid, laid out, out yeah of course um, yeah I, I think it's at that point they very obviously call a spot and it leads to the spear mm-hmm. uh, I think they kind of they something I think uh, he 
knocks him down with a shoulder or a tackle or something and um, yeah. they obviously call a spot and Goldberg goes into position for the spear and then Jackhammer uh, yeah so like the there's the spear Kidman comes out to distract Goldberg mm-hmm. as he goes to the Jackhammer he gets low blowed uh, Saturn attempts a superplex but in a really cool uh, moment gets gorilla pressed off the top rope the flock comes out Goldberg just murders them mm-hmm. uh, he nearly impales Kidman with a spear uh, Perry goes to lock in the rings of Saturn Goldberg is like I, I fucking lost my mind at this right so picture this in your mind's eye Thunder Buddies and uh, Saturn gets him down, goes to lock in the rings of Saturn. Goldberg powers him up from the ground into a fireman's carry and then hits the jackhammer from the fireman's carry position and, like, nearly lost him, but through brute strength held him up and got him into the jackhammer. I fucking came out of my chair. Yeah, I had to, I actually had to watch it a couple of times because I watched it and I was like, oh my fucking God. He heaves him up from the fireman's carry position. Like, yeah, it's like he nearly lost him, but through sheer force of will, he's like, "Oh, no, you fucking know." Yeah, fucking, it was great control. And like, he, I know you kind of breeze past it, but the uh, press slam off the middle rope. I mean, to do that seven months in is fucking. Yeah, that's crazy. Like that, and it goes to show that as well that that Saturn had that faith in him. You know what I mean? Because you are putting your your body into someone's hand and. Someone that inexperienced trying to get rid of Pressy off the second rope. There's a lot of ways that can go that don't end well for Perry Saturn. Like, Ultimate Warrior would hurt people with a gorilla press. Then yeah. take into account standing or trying to stand on the middle rope. Yeah. Well, and the possibility that you would lose them over to the outside, you know, or, oh God. Who knows the ways that could have gone wrong. But they, yeah, the match was a little chaotic, but Jesus, I loved it. I, I thought this was great. This was, a, like, if you're not going to have a cruiserweight opener, this is what you want, like... Uh, next up, we had Chavo Guerrero, accompanied by Eddie Guerrero's white trousers and brown suede shoes, versus Ultimo Dragon. Um, well, uh, I, a blink and you'll miss it moment here, Lee, but did you notice while Eddie was walking down, someone just threw glitter at him? No. <laughs> yeah. What's that? He's about halfway down the ramp, and someone leans over the fence and just straight up throws a fistful of glitter at him. Was it NXT era Alexa Bliss? It, it may well have been. Um, I just and it was never mentioned again, and Eddie just kind of no sold it uh, and kept going. Um, another thing at the start of this match, my God, Ultimo Dragon looks so young here. You mean Ultimo Hoddy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, indeed. I I fucking I loved Ultimo Dragon's gear. God, yeah, fucking hell, like the red, green, and white, and it just looked so mm-hmm. fucking cool. Like that, mm-hmm. that's what a cruiserweight wrestler needs to look like. Yeah. Um, the two of them start trading holes earlier on. Uh, unfortunately for the lads in the ring, and you know, partially down to Chavo having no discernible personality of his own that will have people rooting for him. Um, the crowd are, <laughs> yeah, the crowd just care about Eddie because Eddie is obviously like just a fountain of charisma on the outside, and him just doing nothing standing there is more interesting than Chavo struggling against Ultimo Guerrero. Like Eddie is literally at this point walking around the ring hiding his head under a towel so people will probably hoping that people will stop chanting at him and they'll just focus on the match um, and honestly it was more captivating than the match yeah you know I was thinking here I think my my main problem with Chavo at this point is that not just that he's 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 green as grass at this point in his career 
but it's that the story they're trying to tell with Chavo is that every week he's going toe to toe with all these guys who we at home know are definitely superior wrestlers to him. Like there's a, it's a, no fucking question they're better than him. But they're trying to get this over like he is coming this close and it were not for his uncle, he would have beaten them all by now. Or they're also putting forward the story that if he just cheats like his uncle, he'd win. Yeah, yeah, there's there's that as well. Um, some combination of that, I think, is uh, some, if not a lot, of why people aren't into him. Uh, the match itself, in spite of Dragon's best effort, is fairly bland until out of nowhere, <laughs> Chavo attempts a, a fucking wild tope and nearly completely overshoots, which is a rare sight, because normally when you see these topes that nearly go wrong, it's that the guy falls short. Mm-hmm of where the other guy is but like he nearly careens four or five feet past Ultimo Dragon here had he not adjusted I mean I've said it before Chavo just isn't good like Chav, Chav he's clearly like he clearly realises this is a spot where you know a great match against Ultimo Dragon you're going to get people talking uh, and he's just a little bit too excited you know it kind of reminds me you know that um that moment in the Wrestlemania 23 main event where Shawn Michaels has to loudly tell John Cena to calm down because he was going like 90 <laughs> miles an hour yeah <laughs> yeah it feel like Ultimo should have just kind of slapped him across the face and told him to calm the fuck down yeah. here um Fuck! I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Um, yeah, I'd, just the, the match in general. Just it was not that was pointless, but just no interest. <laughs> yeah, Chavo does the he does the drop kick block uh, to block the the crossbody from Dragon mm. at one point, but he was standing way close to dra- too close to Dragon in the corner when he did it, so it didn't look any good at all. Uh, Dragon appears hurt and the ref waves Chavo off. Eddie is enraged that he doesn't try and take advantage and cheat like he would. Slaps him a couple of times to try and get him to cop on. Uh, the match continues for a few seconds and then Chavo gets caught at the Dragon Sleeper and taps. Um, Lee, haven't had an opportunity to say this before. Fucking love a Dragon Sleeper. Great move. Um, was all, I loved when uh, The Undertaker brought it back in, what, 2002, 2003? He was definitely watching his, his Ultimate Dragon tapes. What, what, what did he call it? Taking care of business, I think he called it TCB. Something like, ugh. This was an MMA taker at his worst, wasn't it? This is, yeah, this is the best pure striker in WWE. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the Dragon Zebra is a fucking, it's a cool move. Should say, yeah, yeah. Sonata does a great version of it these days. <laughs> Just still beating that drum late. Sonata is a great wrestler. These are all fucking wrong. <laughs> What a heel. Um, what a heel. <laughs> uh, after this match, Eddie gets in the ring and he's absolutely incensed with Chavo and Chavo insists he's not going to cheat to win like him. Uh, next segment, to the internet location where DDP is speaking to Lee Marshall and a very creepy man is sitting within about four inches of page typing what he's saying. Um, our next match is the one I was really looking forward to on this show. Benoit versus Booker T. TV title, no time limit. Woof. Uh, in kayfabe, here's one thing I was thinking of that's a bit of a kind of one for the, the continuity logic people. Um, if there's one match on your card with no time limit, surely it's silly not to have that on last because it could theoretically last hours. You'd think that, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> now, I remember, I know, you see, it's a tough thing... 
you know, uh, with no timeout matches or matches that are going to go long and the whole debate of whether you should tell an audience it's going to go long because, say, Iron Man matches, whenever they used to do Iron Man matches on TV, the uh, people would tune out until they knew the match was going to end. Whereas if you don't tell them it's going to be a long match and turns out to be a long match, sometimes ratings will actually build over the course of the match. Mm. Um, the one I can think of in particular was the the near hour-long match that, uh, funnily enough, because this is like a couple of weeks after a match I just referenced, Shawn Michaels versus John Cena in 2007 on Raw in the UK. London match, where, yeah. yeah, where they went damn near an hour. It was an unbelievable match. And not only did they not tell people it was going to be an hour-long match, but they had advertised Edge versus Orton happening in the main event mm-hmm. and then just never did it because they quote unquote ran out of time um, which was a very WCW so like, thing to do actually yeah you... yeah so I can see the like either side of it but like within kayfabe you know it, it kind of doesn't make sense to have a no time limit match on third on your show um, but I, I do I do like when companies do that occasionally where like a match will go long so something else has to get cut from the show yeah um that, that's cool yeah I, I definitely like I don't know where I lie on that I kind of wanted to put out my I, I can definitely see both sides of whether you tell them or not if it's going to be a long match or, or what you do about it um, this is the battle of the Ironmen of WCW here because as we talked about before uh, they had two time limit draws on successive nitros and um, now with no time limit uh, the bell will not save Booker's title he is going to have to beat Benoit which neither of them have been able to beat the other so far uh, Tanay is keen to point out that Championship Gold has evaded Benoit so far in WCW, which is baffling to me that he hadn't. So, like, it's one of those companies where it's amazing that he hadn't picked up, like, accidentally, like, oh, we need you to hold the Cruiserweight title for a couple of months, kind of thing. Yeah, that, that I, I could have sworn he was a title holder at, by 98, but, like, yeah. Yeah. Fucking, I'm surprised at that one. But Tanay definitely did say that. Oh, he did, I'm, yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not one to, to disagree with the with the professor himself. Um, um, be- so be- I was just going to say, be- go on, yeah, before we get into the match, we have to talk about the sign. Tell, tell us about the sign. So when Chris Benoit was making his entrance, and obviously a lot of fans made signs for shows at this time, and people would hang over the entrance to kind of make sure their sign was seen. <sighs> so some somebody, as Chris Benoit walks by... Puts up a sign that says, Benoit, best crippler since polio. Yeah. Now, at the time, you know, not necessarily half as dodgy as it is now. Um, And it's one of those things where it's considerably unfortunate that he had this gimmick of being the crippler and choking people out and the likes um, because of what went on to happen Mm -hmm. some decade later. And now the fact that we have to cover this, and we can't just ignore it, no. but it makes us feel distinctly ew when this stuff comes up. Yeah, because like obviously we talked about on the first episode we did that we were like, right, we're going to have to cover Benoit, and we talked all about that. And then we've we've probably spent the last couple of weeks talking about how fucking great Benoit has been, which he has been, and he probably will continue to be. Yeah, but then you see you uh, see something like that, and you're like, oh god. It just kind of snaps that suspension of disbelief that we have to try and keep ourselves in mm-hmm. because he's just all over these shows for the next while. Yeah, like, I, I think I said at the time, like, I, I try and separate WWE Chris Benoit from WCW Chris Benoit. Yeah. 
Um, it's kind of we we just got to do whatever we can um, to get over this <laughs> to to just get through it. Um, one thing I will say, if we're just to get into the the match now, um, we we're kind of living in in a new age of people appreciating Chopsley. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's always been a huge thing in Japan. Um, but in the late 90s, early 2000s, when you had a lot of these wrestlers like Benoit, um, who had been in Japan coming over to the States, there was kind of like a little golden era of chops happening around them. Um, and that kind of went away for a while when, say, like the, the PWG super indie style then became the, the, the in vogue thing to do, all the flips and shit, in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, but now we're kind of seeing, uh, and especially through its principal uh, user in Walter, the return of big, huge chops uh, happening and people's chest getting absolutely lit up, um, which I've seen more than a few times from both Walter and other people. Um, but a thing about Benoit's chops, like they're not only brutal, but it's how quick they are, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they are just as brutal as say Walter who will like kind of bury his hand into your chest and kind of it almost pauses there for a beat. But like Benoit's arms are a blur when he's chopping. Oh yeah, and they're, I, they're rapid. Like it's just constant like fucking it, it's not Kobashi but it's fucking it's the next best thing really. Like it's just rapid and fucking it looks like it hurts like hell. Yeah, yeah I, I, apparently I was thinking like, I think I actually would rather take one from Walter. Yeah, I think I'd rather one from Walter than a match with Benoit. <laughs> Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so, in what I described to you earlier as uh, the our friend Jamesy's wrestling logic moment of the night, mm-hmm. um, Benoit utilizes this no time limit stip uh, because the kind of the way the way their styles are matched and the way it's put over on commentary and the way it was put on in the build up is that Benoit is the guy who, over the course of a match, given time, can wear you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and break you and submit you whereas Booker is the guy who he has a huge tank of energy he's all impact he's coming off the ropes he's hitting you with his big kicks and stuff like that so Benoit being the master mat technician is is coming out here and anytime Booker is getting too intense for him in the early goings on in this match he's just like that's fine rolls to the outside takes a breather yeah and like they established that with the very first bump in the match um, yeah. Booker knocks him, knocks him down with a, t- a tackle, and Benoit rolls. He fucking well, he bounces off the mat first of all, but he rolls mm. to the outside and sells the tackle for a good nearly thirty seconds, mm. and then just takes his time getting back in the ring. And it's it's just establishing that, like you say, that narrative for the match. Yeah. Um. It's funny, Shivani then, speaking of style slashes, talks about how, you know, this is a great clash of styles between the submission style of Benoit and the high-impact, high-flying of Booker, which I think is really funny because when you look at Booker and the fucking size of him, like a big, thick, beefy unit, the idea that in 1998 the man was seen as a high-flyer is pretty fucking wild. Like, he does do some impressive moves off the top rope. Um... But not not the thing I immediately would have gone to. It's like, oh yeah, Booker T, great high flyer, you know. Yeah, that, that, it shows how far the, like wrestlers have come since 90, the mid nineties. That like Booker yeah. T is thought of as a high flyer. Like he he would yeah, tower when, over every fucking wrestling roster today. Like yeah, whereas like really the most high flying movie he does is well, probably the Harlem Hangover, which is you know 
It's impressive looking, but it's essentially just a somersault. Which he never really hit properly either. No, no. Uh, but yeah, high flyer. Um, so the match starts going deeper then, and the toll of being so high energy starts to wear on Booker. Like, there's really subtle storytelling going on here, where you can tell Booker is so, as I said, high energy, high impact, that the deeper this match goes, the more it plays into Benoit's hands. And Booker is starting to tire, and Benoit takes control. Um, I will say, <laughs> at various points during this match, more intense than the action in the ring was me versus the shitty WWE Network. <laughs> uh, tried to get it to work. There was a lot of fucking buffering happening in this middle stretch of the match. Uh, but then they start going for their big moves. Back suplex off the top, flying forearm. Booker pancakes Benoit and starts firing up. Uh, Booker axe kicks the ref. Uh, Crossface from Benoit. Uh... Booker does like a slow visual tap while the referee is down, but it's one of those very slow, mm-hmm. he taps once, then he taps twice, so you could argue either way whether he tapped or not. Then he grabs the rope, uh, Benoit makes, wakes Mickey J up, Harlem sidekick, and Booker wins. Like, And this is a Harlem sidekick, Booker just flung himself. Yeah, you're, you're, you're underselling this fucking kick. Yeah. <laughs> Benoit, Go for ben, it, paint me a word picture. Benoit picks up Mickey J, so... It's like Mickey J is between where Booker is, say, on the entrance side of the ring, and Benoit yeah. is over the other side of the ring, and Mickey J is between them. So Benoit is holding up Mickey J, trying to shake him awake, and Booker just flings his fucking leg over the top of Mickey J and creams Benoit and gets the pin. And it's fucking, yeah. it, it's one of those instant finishes that you're just like, fuck, like Jesus Christ, yeah. that came out of nowhere. It's great stuff. Booker wins, but uh, at the same time, Benoit can argue that he ta- tapped him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, Booker can argue either that he didn't tap out or that Benoit pulled the ref in his way, which the ref, which the replays do show yeah. more clearly than the live action did. So both men have an argument as to why they should have won and why the other guy cheated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I- this match, this feud will continue, and I fucking love yeah, it. Yeah, oh god. It- Hopefully, this, we get a couple of these matches on uh, Thunder. I I don't know for yeah. sure if we do or don't, but um, I'm hoping we do. But uh, at one point, Benoit hits the triple Germans, yeah. and when he latches on for, I think it's the second German, the crowd go fucking mad because they realize this is it. Like it's going to be the triple Germans, and it's leading to the finish. And they fucking they, they go wild, and it's crazy to me yeah. just how over both Booker T and Benoit are at this stage in 1998, and the fact that. It was what the year two thousand when Benoit finally got a main event before he left the company. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me the people losing their mind for the second German here. Always reminded me of the time where like WWF fans were very slow to to warm on him as a babyface. Mm-hmm. But when he had that match with Austin, yes, and hit the ten, ten. the ten Germans on SmackDown, yeah, and people were losing their goddamn minds. Um, I, I can I can remember it, watching that match on a Saturday morning and going fuck yeah. I was like Jesus like just every time he did another one it was like how like just fucking screaming at the, the TV week, like and then was it the week after that on Raw where there's the cage match with where Kurt comes off the the cage yes I think it was if it was it was he hits the Germans on Austin in that as well because Austin gets involved and he hits the German on him again if it he? wasn't a week after it could have been the week after that one but it, it was definitely close yeah. to it anyway um, yeah god yeah fucking um, anyway absolutely great stuff yeah uh, next up 
uh, we grind our enjoyment to a screeching fucking halt uh, British Bulldog with Jim Neidhart versus Kurt Hedig with Rick Rude uh, it was at this point that I started reaching for the caffeine Lee the Pepsi Max came out <laughs> because I started feeling sleepy um, a sign of the crowd saying NWO is bout it bout it and I don't doubt it doubt it uh, Tanae alright disco it, it, yeah, no, in uh, in one of Tanae's or in one of Brain's early great moments of this show, uh, Tanae says he's uh, he's relieved that Rick Rude isn't immediately chasing him off commentary. At which point, Brain stands up and starts yelling at Rick to come up to the commentary booth and get rid of Mike Tanae. I think a couple of times he whistles at him as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Rick! Uh, absolutely great stuff. Um, I, I... Shivani, who really was. He was not on form tonight. Uh, mistakenly calls a Denver policeman one of Detroit's yeah, finest. Which he then tried to save by saying, oh, well, they flew him in from Detroit. <laughs> yeah, but then this 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 results in the uh, maybe my brain highlight of the night with the one-two of, hey, Tony, have you ever thought about being an eyewitness? <laughs> <laughs> and then, is it true your whole family were lookouts at Pearl Harbor? <laughs> you can actually hear Tanae laugh at that one. <laughs> And I love Shivani having to pretend to be appalled when he was probably nearly cracking as well. Um, the policeman handcuffs Rude and Jim together and it's hilarious because the visual of shirtless Jim Neidhart in Zubaz being handcuffed to Rick Rude with his moustache and his suit is very much like your divorced dad and your ma's new fella got into a scrap at the Holy Communion and got arrested. <laughs> There's a line during the match which Heenan talks about the two of them being uh, handcuffed together. I, Go on, I, I must have missed oh, this. Oh, you're, you're going to love this one. So, uh, Heenan says, like, Rude is there in his suit and uh, Anvil is in his pyjamas, as Heenan calls him. He says, it looks like a lawyer and his uh, drunk, um, <laughs> what's the word, client? Um, yeah. <laughs> he says, uh, Brian says on a uh, commentary, he says, his defense would be, I'm telling, I'm telling you, Judge, he wasn't in the park. <laughs> and, and I think that should be christened the Jerry the King Lawler defence yeah the, the Jerry Lawler defence classic <laughs> textbook um, but yeah no, oh, that's the brilliant. fact that you made the same comparison just shows yeah that's good I'm, I'm in the mode to cosplay as I'm at the, the bowling that's good um, I, I love um, at the start of the match before Rude is refusing to get cuffed up to uh, Anvil yeah <laughs> yeah, and, and you, rightfully so. And Henning just keeps going, saying to Rude, "He's like, he's an idiot. He's stupid. He, like, he's an idiot. Don't worry about it." Yeah, and you know, and, Henning is proven right by the end of this match. And all Anvil, Anvil um, is doing in the background is laughing. <laughs> yeah, he's just cackling. And Connor just turns to me and goes, "Why? Why does he laugh so weird? Is it? <laughs> is it because he's weird? <laughs> <laughs> it is because he's weird, Connor. I can tell you that." Um. So yeah, he protests, but he's eventually cuffed because he realises that he may be fined or removed from the, the ringside. God knows we love a fine uh, on this show. Yeah, so this Matt Classic can finally start. Uh, Bulldog starts immediately attacking the knee that Hennig may or may not have injured. There's a kind of running storyline at the moment, it seems, where the commentary, the commentary team aren't sure if Hennig is injured or just playing possum or not, um, but he starts to attack the knee nonetheless. I swear that brace gets bigger every show. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like Cowboy Bob's cast at this point. 
uh, already a couple of weeks in. Brain defends Bulldog, saying, and it's, it's a very good point uh, that you know if you're a wrestler, if you see a man injured, you just have to go to it, mm-hmm. like, and attack the injury. It's your job to win, you know. Um, <laughs> cut to the outside, and a shirtless, angry Jim Neidhart <laughs> is choking a black cop. More on that later. Uh, but the optics of that immediately: the shirtless, bearded man in in Zubaz, very pale, uh, choking out a black cop. Not not great optics there. Um, while this is happening, Rude is appears to be attempting to escape from custody. He escapes somehow because that- ties Jim to the ring post. Uh, I'm getting to that. How he escaped. Ties Jim to the ring post, distracts Bulldog, Hennig wins, the camera cuts back to the cop. The cop was Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) Who had passed Rick Rude the keys. And now the match is over. Uh, Jim Neidhart is tied to the ring post and Rick Rude is free to just walk in and beat down Bulldog. Neidhart is a fucking moron. (laughs) Yeah. The whole time that he's throttling Vincent... Rude is very obviously taking off the handcuff or attempting to because he only has one yeah, hand. Yeah, real panto style so everyone in the back row can see what he's doing. <laughs> and cuffing, obviously latching the cuff to the ring post. And not yeah. once does Anvil stop throttling the guy that he isn't cuffed to. Yeah. And then in an equal act of idiocy, uh, Vincent is standing there trying to dodge Neidhart who has the nightstick and is swinging at him. But like, he's not tied to the ring post. Vincent could just walk away from him. <laughs> it's Vincent's good. Yeah, it's a fucking moron. Like, just yeah. there's three morons and Henning and Rude in this fucking situation. <laughs> I can only imagine what it was like for poor Kurt <laughs> Henning and poor Bulldog sitting down trying to explain to Jim Neidhart and Vincent how this finish was going to play out. Uh, just fucking oh, Jesus Christ! It R- Rude gets the nightstick and chokes out Bulldog and then Jim and I'm, I noted at this point Bret Hart nowhere to be found as his best pals get beaten to a fucking pulp what a prick that, Bret Hart is a prick yeah and uh, as he's as they're walking off I think it's Brain that says aren't you getting aren't you getting tired of getting tricked you two dummies <laughs> I love the continuity that Brain loves everything that Rude and Henning do in yeah, spite yeah. of them being NWO He's still... They're still his guys. Ah, good stuff. Next match, we have Chris Jericho versus Prince Ikea, the Flatpak Sovereign, with the Cruiserweight title and the Linear Martial Arts Division Championship on the line. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for this one. My God, Jericho is the best. Ah, fucking... I love Chris Jericho. What a goof. Coming out with his headband, like, taking a knee... De- he dedicates the match to Dean Malenko so he says is sitting at home eating potato chips and drinking coke and then assures him that he can live vicariously through the man of a thousand four holes daddy-o <laughs> oh god he's so fucking great uh, a detail that I don't think I was aware of or I had forgotten at the start of this match is that Prince Ikea was trained by Dean Malenko and I am absolutely baffled as to how he is this bad well no he was trained by his brother I think Ah, so he wasn't direct because that was they had kind of implied so that the, the Malenko school was opened by Dean's mm. father, obviously. Uh, but they were implying that Dean Malenko himself had trained IKEA. Uh, I so, would imagine that yeah. Dean Malenko wants nothing got to do with the credit of training Prince IKEA. Yeah, yeah, it's probably he trained him about as much as Stu Hart actually trained the last couple of generations in the dungeon. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, um, uh, Connor made a good point again. At, 
during one uh, stage of this match. He looked up, at, looked yeah. up at the screen after Jericho had made his entrance, and then obviously they locked up or whatever. And he just looks up at Prince Ikea, Ikea and says, uh, "How is he not freezing in his bare feet?" Yeah, that's true. And you that know, I true. can't argue with that logic. Did Dakota recognize Jericho? Oh yeah, he knew for exactly who it was. Did he ask what has happened to Jericho in the years since that he's melted? He asked why he was wearing long tights. Yeah. Wearing his cool kind of lion heart tights. Um, Which again, we must say, were a fucking sexy pair of tights. Great look. Yeah. Great look. I, I still think my favourite is the old kind of um, spray painted lion heart jacket mm-hmm. that he used to wear. That made its, uh, I think, its final appearance at ECW One Night Stand. Did you? And his match with Lance Storm. Um, so where am I now? Uh, yeah, Jericho. Early on in this match, a Prince IKEA spot I really enjoyed. Jericho tries to skin the cat to get back into the ring, and while he is upside down halfway through it, he gets drop kicked mm-hmm. and falls to the outside. That's Did good. Did you notice uh, um, as he stumbles from the drop kick, a woman in the front row leans over and tries to slap him? Ah, brilliant! She, she literally reaches across and tries to hit him. She just took took exception to young Christopher Jericho here. Um. Well, if, if, if I recently uh, had, had watched some clips of the, the Wrestling's Greatest Secrets Revealed, because OSW did an episode on it, I'd forgotten the bit. Did you watch that documentary back in the 90s? Uh, yeah, more than like, that was the magician guy, about the same mask and all that, wasn't it? The, it was the same production yeah. company, I think, and it what it was, was it was the guy who did the voice of Salem and Sabrina. Uh, Nick McKay was doing the vo- uh, was doing the voiceover for it, kind of explaining at least what they had surmised were all the secrets. Well, of I, re- I remember the chair shot remind- one specifically. Yeah, I remember the one I had remembered, uh, and it's one that was reminiscent of you saying a woman tried to slap Jericho. Here was uh, a bit where they talked about a granny getting up at the face of a wrestler, and then Nick McKay saying something to the effect of, "But don't worry, it's a stunt granny." <laughs> It's a great documentary. You should all check it out or check out the OSW episode, whichever. Um, but, uh, so yeah, he gets, uh, he drives drop kick during the, the skin the cat. The match is largely back and forth uh, until the point where just Jericho gets the heat, takes control, uh, attempts a super, uh, superplex and terrifyingly, both men just spill off the top rope to the outside yeah. uh, where Jericho starts selling his name. Shades of uh, Pete Dunne and Joe Coffey from TakeOver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez! Oh God! I just buried that match in my subconscious. Thanks for that. At least they only did it once in this match. Yeah, uh, Jericho attempts the lion tamer when they get back in. Gets rolled up for a near fall. Uh, Prince IKEA hits the Northern Light suplex, and Jericho grabs the ropes uh, at two point nine. Uh, really good. I think something like this is a good way to protect the finish. Mm-hmm. Like the Northern Lights is a pretty well protected move on the mid card at this point. And Jericho using like his last gasp of energy to grab the ropes and not kick out is a way to protect Jericho because he didn't lose and protect the Northern Lights because he didn't kick out. Mm-hmm. He just happened to be, I think, it was a brain says, great execution, bad position, yeah. uh, is the and way it, he puts it. it. It's like it, it puts over both of them because, like we, we've said it, Jericho just wins. Jericho doesn't cheat, he yeah. just wins. And it, uh, it, it, it's a great little, um, it's, it's a great little kind of hand on the rose moment. It's, or it's not the, um, it's not quite the level of the Kevin Owens single fingertip on the rope, mm-hmm. which is the, the single greatest rope break in the history of professional wrestling. Um, but it was pretty good. 
Um, this is the first and definitely not the last point at which one of the commentators points out that Denver is at altitude, which will explain why it's more physically exhausting than a normal pay-per-views. I, I love that. Uh, um, Bobby, at one point during the matches, whenever he wrestled in Denver, he, his tactic with his um, wrestlers was choke the opposition. Just choke them and make yeah. it hard to breathe. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, and I guess there's a point at which they kind of need they, they feel they need to, to mention the altitude thing because there's a lot of men who within five minutes of the start of these matches are beat red and sweating <laughs> and you got to protect the business brother. Um, <laughs> uh, Prince Ikea hits a really impressive looking corkscrew sunset flip on Jericho mm-hmm. but Jericho blocks it lion tamer tap out and Chris Jericho is still a cruiserweight champion and is now proudly the new Days of Thunder linear martial arts champion um, and he takes away uh, Ikea's kind of floral luau kind of skirt thing uh, that's his new trophy that he's going to be wearing wasn't he wearing the headband uh, when he came out as well he was yeah he was wearing I think Disco's headband wasn't it yeah he, at this point he, the, the man is just pure spinal tap <laughs> I love it I absolutely love it um, back to the internet location and this is my favourite internet location cutaway of all time Lee Lee Marshall with Raven who Lee has obviously just had enough of Raven <laughs> and says look you're not kidding anybody with that belt it's not yours you stole it and in the middle of him saying this Raven roars as William Shakespeare once said and as he begins that Lee Marshall has the single like the best facial expression I've ever seen it's like halfway between offer oh, fuck's sake <laughs> and trying not to laugh who gave him back his leaving cert fucking book again it's brilliant <laughs> like as William Shakespeare once said as the start of a retort it's, <laughs> like, it's right up there with Webster's Dictionary defines belt as <laughs> uh, I want some I want know, a wrestler to abso- do that now oh he absolutely did that to try and pop Lee Marshall it's fuck ah oh, Jesus I was a bit at this I just want I want somebody to do that now. Just cut somebody off and scream as William Shakespeare once said. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to do that to somebody in Germany when we're there and see how that goes. Jesus Christ, don't we'll get fucking murdered. <laughs> Lex Luger. Um speaking of Lex Luger, uh we got a, a tag team match up next as two teams that I've given team names to here Ooh, in much okay. of the tradition of Team Beefy Da. So we have the Flex Express, that's Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell. Versus the dog face package. Oh, uh, Lex and... <laughs> After the week on Twitter, that's the name you're going with. Yes, I am, proudly. Uh, Lex Luger and Rick Steiner. Uh, the Flex Express and Buff's cast, this giant comedy cast, uh, they come out and they claim that he's injured, the match is cancelled. JJ Dillon is out and has taken exception to that. Says... You know, I hate to admit it, but Buff is absolutely right that if he's injured, he would need a doctor's release to wrestle. And then, in a great reveal, but luckily, we have a doctor right here. In the kind of, like, I I hate continuity in wrestling where you do, or a lack of continuity in wrestling where you end up doing the same gimmick in two different matches. So say we have the savage injury angle, we have this injury angle going. But they've actually spun it into a positive here. That because we have this other injury angle going, that means we have a doctor on site who can come and check you out, pal. Mm-hmm. Which is brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, it's like if you, it's the fact that it's an arm as well, so yeah. you can see how badly it's wrapped compared to the cast that Savage had that on. Um, and it's just it's just brilliant. Little a little um, a little almost like an inside joke that maybe yeah. not everyone would have got, but just great stuff. Mm. 
So the doctor comes out, and let me tell you, Lee, the fucking head on this doctor. He would have fit in on ER, wouldn't he? ER or like he he just to me radiates weird uncle that we don't invite around anymore energy oh, Jesus. you know because he's got the high waisted jeans like he's got the t-shirt the right in the really greasy blonde hair that clearly has aspirations to be a mullet but he's just not quite committed oh, enough to it <laughs> says, I'm not appreciate this man has no I want to see his medical degree this seems like he got it over the internet um, in 1998 I was really hoping, Lee, I was really hoping that this was going to boil down to a, a, a very colloquial reference, but a Father Ted, hold on, those are fake arms <laughs> moment. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Yeah, that would have been great. But as he cracks the cast and goes to check on uh, on Buff's condition, Buff gets really mad at JJ and grabs him with the bad hand and does an incredible cartoon Wiley Coyote oh, no. reaction face when he realises <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> eyes like plates when he realises what he's done so JJ goes oh, see what you've done you're cleared pal I loved Scott um, Steiner throwing a tantrum as soon as uh, Luger's music hits he's yeah. literally standing so, yeah, and jumping spinning around like stomping his feet like Luger, uh, Luger's music hit Rick and Lex come out Lex is laughing his head off at the idea that he gets he, he's he getting paid to for be allowed to beat to, he gets paid for it and he gets to beat these guys up Rick sprints past him goes straight for Scott Steiner who ba- tries to bail out of the ring and get away from it only to get clobbered by Luger um, Lee a detail about this match and it's one I saw you tweet about during the week it's great to see Rick Steiner's horrible new gear standing up for the people of Catalonia who in a very similar way to Rick Steiner also want to get revenge over a great big lumbering mass who was running the show for them Ooh, nice I like that yeah, thank you very much <laughs> yeah I, I couldn't I just as soon as he came out I'm looking at it going what does he look like and it came to me and it, it was actually I was thinking of the uh, Barcelona jersey remember the kit the white kit they had a couple of years ago yeah yeah that was the is the, the catalan flag yeah. tribute yeah and <laughs> instead of like searching for barcelona jerseys i just said hmm, catalan flag and uh, yeah it just it fucking it was eye-opening shall we say to see rick dress so brightly yeah it was uh something else yeah he's either a catalan flag uh or possibly a circus tent Ooh, nice i didn't think of that one um. Anyway, where are we here? Yeah. So, um, the match, the match is kind of yeah. It was nothing. It's not. Yeah. It's not. Nah. Fuck it. Like it's it's just not great. Um, Luger gets tagged in. Rick chases Scott. Pretty much clean out of the building. For all I know, Scott Steiner is still running away. Um, not with that bad. Lex. <laughs> Lex gets buff up for the rack and taps out. And in a particular highlight of the show for me, I held laughing at Buff selling his hamstring while he was in the torture rack. <laughs> Did you notice this? No. He's in the torture rack getting racked and as he's tapping he's using his other arm to kind of bend over and hold his hamstring. Oh my God. <laughs> what, what a professional we wrestler We don't deserve that. We don't deserve my, Perhaps my favourite wrestler at the moment. <laughs> Which I don't uh, think you ever thought you'd say 14 weeks into the show. No, because he's blatantly a carny is the thing. But I love him for it. Speaking of carnies, Gene Okerlund is out to pimp the fucking hotline. <laughs> wow. This was something, wasn't it? 
Yeah, says an individual showed up tonight, and that individual may be a member of the NWO who's going to return. You're going to have to call to find out. Who do you think it was? This very, this very much reminds me. Did this remind you of anything particularly? Uh, I can't say off the top of my head, but obviously you're you do this, link it to something. This reminds me precisely of The Simpsons when Homer rings the football tip line, and I was like, "Sin, sin, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, sin, Nat, Cincinnati, T." <laughs> Just I, I can one dollar sixty nine a fucking minute. People rang it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm fully sure they did. Um, and I believe wasn't um, wasn't Brian Alvarez offered a, a job working on this? Was he? He nearly worked for WCW twice. I could swear, because I know The Observer, he did end up working on The Observer's hotline because they had one. Um, but as far as I remember, I think there was like talk of him doing this and he was also like nearly had a tryout or was offered a tryout for the Cruiserweight division in WCW. What? I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, as a teenager. Yeah, yeah. He talked about it on like a really, really old Brian and Vinny show. Um, but uh, what have we got next? Uh, a real nothing match here and the one that you didn't get in our predictions on the last show because it was an unannounced match. La Parca versus Sikosis. Uh, we got the yellow and red motif going on here again mm-hmm. um, as La Parca in yellow takes on Sikosis in red. It's like a battle of spooky Power Rangers. Um, the parker looking like but, a skeleton that just pissed himself. Yeah. Uh, as well as being a nothing match, the buffering really got in my way here, so I wasn't really fucked. Uh, taking a lot of notes, I kind of walked off and got a drink, came back, um, and Sikosis won with a guillotine leg drop. Yeah, no, this, this was the match I tweeted out. I, I took my notes and I just had nobody cares. It was this match. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, and I love La Parca, and I, I like Sikosis well enough, but it was just kind of dumped as a buffer between big storyline matches so like they didn't care about it and it radiated that they didn't care about it it didn't last long so why the fuck should I care about it it very much felt like a match to cool down the crowd leading into the next match Uh, speaking of cooling down the crowd the fucking bat match is up next Nash and Hogan versus Giant and Piper Uh, Nash and Hogan enter separately ooh tension um I loved Hogan's entrance here, Lee, because uh, obviously, uh, and Shivani had mentioned it earlier on, if you weren't sure, at this point in the WCW canon, uh, even though the NWO were almost uniformly coming out to roughly the same music, this is when Hogan was coming out to Voodoo Child. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously on the WWE WWE Network, Voodoo Child is not licensed, so they overdub it with the the, the NWO music. Uh, But... (laughs) In a hilariously bad bit of sound editing, they very not subtly drop the overdub just so you can hear Hogan go, I'm the man, and then right, right back, back yeah. up the volume. <laughs> yeah. God bless the um, WWE Network, the fucking piece of shit. <laughs> uh, absolutely hilarious. Uh, Piper comes out. Piper is fucking jacked to the gills. Um, I have one thing to say. Why is Roddy Piper so wet? He is a, a moist man. Like, he looks like he literally stepped out of the shower to come out and do this match. Yeah, if he tripped on the ramp, he would have slid all the way to the ring. He is a, a greased up man. Do you know who he is? Uh, He's greasy deaf guy from Family Guy. He's going to never to catch me. Yeah. Yeah. See you all next year. Um, Piper, immediately when this 
bell rings and for a man this greased up it was a very high risk manoeuvre uh, attempts to go straight for the bat um, Lee I think it's time to celebrate the fact that uh, we got this far and this is our first something on a pole match god it is isn't it yeah um, for those of you who don't watch a lot of WCW and don't know much about it Get all used I'll to say it. is <laughs> this yeah, yeah these are going to be around for a while um Thankfully, they're a bit more intermittent at this early phase, but Jesus fucking... Um, What's your favourite on a pole match, Lee? Hang on, but before I get into that, have you watched last night's Raw? No. What was on a pole? (sighs) Well, it wasn't what was on a pole, it was what they were talking about being on a pole. Oh, no. Obviously, you've heard about Maria Kanellis' baby... Oh, God. Baby shower, uh, baby gender reveal (laughs) thing. Yeah, where she says it's ricochets and ricochet and Canellas go out to have a match and then the Street Profits are left speculating about other stuff and um, Dawkins I think it is says at one stage oh I'm just glad she didn't say it wasn't mine or didn't say it was mine and they, they speculate some more about other stuff and they talk about maybe they can have a baby on a pole match oh. then uh, I think it's Montez or says maybe we they could have a Maria on a pole match at which point somebody says isn't that how she got into this situation <laughs> oh god, this is on awful. raw oh my god and do you know what they did it gets worse I it gets heard worse one line Dawkins Montez and Titus O'Neill then high five about this joke oh no because I had heard that someone was it Baron Corbin Somebody refers to Mike Canellas as, and I quote, a beta cook. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is something I've heard. And it turned out to be Rusev, wasn't it? That is this week's possible father. Yeah, it, it's fucking... I, I, like, Which, I like, know, like Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman's still I'm just gonna doing put a good job on Raw. This story is fucking awful. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very Paul Heyman, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, you kind of. If you're gonna have Paul Heyman book in your show, you're gonna have this. Like for every SmackDown six, you're gonna get a uh, Don Marie and Al Wilson. And like, uh, it's uh, the, the rumor is that this is all Maria and Mike's idea. But you know, it's fucking like only for the fact we know Maria is legit pregnant. Yeah. Shoot pregnant. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, fucking. I, I don't know what to expect with this fucking storyline, to be honest. Uh, I remember, speaking of WWE matches, I remember, do you remember when there was the custody of Dominic ladder match? Yeah, and Eddie got screwed out. SummerSlam 05. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember, again, to reference him twice in one show, Brian Alvarez speculated at the time it would be much better if it was like a Dominic hang suspended oh, above Jesus the ring match. <laughs> Maybe they could, they could have done them like Dominic in a shark cage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, to, oh, to God, answer but my, your question, my, there is no good on a pole match. Uh, my favourite too, and they're not good matches at all. Uh, and I think I can safely say them because I don't think either of them... Well, actually, one of them's on a pay-per-view. So I'll say the one that was on Nitro because we'll never actually get to cover the it. The uh, The Viagra on a pole match. God. Uh, Shane Douglas versus Billy Kidman. Um, Bet you that one was stiff. Which that, which ends with Shane Douglas force feeding Kidman Viagra, and uh, 
this is notable for a segment that got a good chuckle out of like 11 year old me because like this happens and then minutes later I can't remember exactly how long later on the show there's a backstage segment where like there's a bunch of uh, young women shall we say and Billy Kidman walks up like puts his arm around them kind of like yeah <laughs> walks off oh god oh. so let's be thankful we're not doing Nitro eh well yeah, fucking Jesus Christ. Um, the, so, the, the one, hang anyway. on, I'll, I'll say the one good poll match is the Feast of Fire gimmick in TNA. Yeah, I mean, except when you try to think about the logic of oh, it. Oh, yeah, it's awful. Like, it's fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it, it's funny. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, fuck, this match was terrible. That's fucking, that's awful. Like, what do you think we spent 10 minutes talking about other stuff? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? There, there's one good um, spot in this match. One. And this match goes yeah, like it, fucking 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's largely smoke and mirrors. I have a load of what happens in this match, so I'm not I'm not going to get through it. But talk to me about your one good spot, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the finish then. The Giant does a drop kick. That's the one good spot. Yeah, he hits a, he hits a, <laughs> he hits a drop kick. There's another bit where uh, the two Giants, because there's a bit where Nash, in a real turn of character from the guy that spent the first two months of our podcast trying to duck the Giant wherever possible. Um, he really he's going to wrestle Piper and he goes no 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 I want the giant and they come in and they wrestle for a bit and they do a double big boot on each other <laughs> which is like the slow ass giant's version of the double clothesline uh, which I enjoyed because you don't see the double big boot spot very often and also because Shivani again off night calls it a big foot <laughs> maybe he's just into his uh, <clears throat> V picks yeah. who knows yeah le- less said the better <laughs> of a Tarantino um, Giant shows Piper uh, up pole to get the bat he gets the bat uh, the heels throw the bat away hang, hang uh, on, hang on. you're understanding that Roddy Piper gets up and gets the bat Hogan yeah. comes behind him take, like hits him from behind then gets the bat and throws the bat away why yeah. did he throw the bat away what's the Not entirely fucking sure logic here. this is a bat match None. the idea is to get None. the bat and use well, maybe- it maybe because the the grand strategist Hulk Hogan knew what was going to happen seconds later uh, Nash holds Piper Hogan swings for the hip of Piper with the bat hits Nash by accident allegedly uh, Piper hits Hogan and chases him around the ring out comes the disciple with what can only be described as a supplementary bat uh, throws it over Piper's head to Hogan who cracks Piper with it and wins Nash is livid but he gets tempted by Hogan with the idea of jackknifing the giant Hogan uh, as Nash is going to jackknife him, hammers Nash with the bat, and he and the disciple flee. Um, the NWO family drama must continue. Boo! This was shite. Oh, fucking so bad. I, 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 uh, I can't remember a major match on a pay per view being this bad. Mm, it's probably the worst one we've had so far. Uh, melodramatic, deep voiced Slambariad. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I watched this and I thought David liked this ad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love a melodramatic Adley, you know that about me. Uh, our next match is DDP versus Raven for the US title and the right to be beaten by Goldberg and Nitro. Um, Sick Boy distracts Page while Raven tries to sneak attack at the start of the match. DDP dodges it and goes on the attack early in the match. Um, it, 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 is Sick Boy the worst fucking member of any organisation or any team ever because every time he tries I mean when we've had Vincent on the show already and the disciple it's hard to say authoritatively who's the worst but every time Sick Boy tries to get involved he fucks it up yeah 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe in storyline he's the worst. Like Vince, at least Vincent helped Henning win. Hmm. This is true. He's good for something now and then, or just stepping into the side of shots that he knows he's going to be in. Um, so what have we got here? It's basically a lot of walk and brawl. Um, one thing I gotta say, uh, one of my highlights of the whole night, uh, DDP jumping off the stagecoach with double axe handle into the hay bales, which is probably the only time I will ever be able to type and then say that sentence out loud. Um, but uh, huge, like, brawling all around the place. Uh, maybe my highlight on commentary of the night was this back and forth between Shivani and Brain, where it's, he's got to suplex him. Where? On the website. <laughs> uh, Lee, what do you think of walking brawls? Um, if there's one on a show, I can live with it. If there's two on a show by the fucking halfway point of the second one I'm pissed off and fucking just want to watch a match yeah. uh, if they're yeah if they're rare they're fine but mm. like it's just such an overdone thing now especially on like indie shows I, I fucking yeah. I, obviously we're big OTT fans there was no there yeah. was an OTT stadium show I think it was last year and I think three Jimmy Havoc three consecutive matches had a fucking walking brawl there was yeah. Jimmy Havoc and um, Paul, Paul Tracy. Tracy there was British Strong Style against the Kings of the North mm-hmm. and then there was a fucking whatever there was another match wasn't the Yearn Simmons Paul Tracy match also a big walk and brawl when they did that it could have been I think it was anyway yeah I, I kind of feel similar to you uh, in comedy matches I can enjoy mm-hmm. them like the old 24-7 and the new 24-7 stuff um in serious feuds I tend to tire of them very quickly if they don't start heading in a very definitive direction mm-hmm. very quickly uh, and as a live experience I absolutely hate them yeah um, as well as the OTT walk and brawls the one that stood out directly in my head was when I was at 16 karat gold this year and uh, Avalanche and Jaron Simmons had a walking brawl where 98% of the match either we couldn't see or we were watching a recorded segment from backstage yeah, what, where they were kind of just wandering around getting lost. Wasn't it recorded the day before or something and it just like... Uh, it certainly seems that way and it was like it was kind of unintentional comedy because it genuinely seemed like they got lost on their way to try to find their way back out into Turbin and Halla. But, um, so but yeah, yet was, the November before really cool. or the October before we were there for Star and Simmons who had a walk and brawl yeah. and it was fucking brilliant yeah because it was in the context of like it was basically a death match yeah. it made sense it was like they and they headed in a very definitive direction like they weren't out of the, the ring long and they were heading over towards the commentary and the, the, the stairs and stuff um, so it had a purpose it wasn't just let's kill five minutes mm. you know Um. I, I don't understand why during all this walk and brawl where Raven is getting the shit kicked out of him why the flock who are all there are not helping because they've been through a lot maybe, maybe they're yeah, just drained yeah, they've had a rough evening they're, maybe they're, yeah, emotionally they're just drained like... <laughs> yeah yeah from the heroin as well as the beating from Goldberg um, um, uh, they get back to the ring and then the flock tries to interfere uh, which backfires a couple of times Bunch of fucking goofs. I told you. I just said it. Yeah. Uh, Reese comes in, hits the the neck hanging tree slam. Presumably the the big his big finish. Page just kicks out, and the worst part that just shows what a geek Reese is is that he hits his finish. Page kicks out, and he doesn't even react. He just calmly gets out of the ring. 
What, what the fuck? Look, this is what he's been trained uh, to do. He's a fucking... Yeah. Hit your move and fuck off, yeah. mate. Uh, Lodi throws Raven the stop sign. DDP rushes him with the stop sign, takes it, starts clearing out flock members. Uh, in the coolest spot of the match, Kidman jumps on his back and... Uh, DDP kind of swings around and hits him with a swinging diamond cutter using his momentum to destroy him. Um, fucking so when cool. all of a sudden, and I haven't said this in a couple of weeks, Lee, a large man appears, <laughs> hits Paige with a sign, it's an even flow, one, two, three, and Lee, without revealing it, did you know who this man was and how quickly did you know? I didn't know who it is and I still don't. <laughs> well, Lee... <laughs> After three weeks of misidentifying a completely different humanism, I can now confirm that this was Horace Hogan. Do you know what? I thought as much when I saw him, but I wasn't sure. And I was like, was, was yeah. Horace in the flock before he was in the NWO? And I... Not a, not known as Horace Hogan at this point. I believe it's Horace Boulder he goes ah, by at okay, first. Right. Um, Does he get, become Hogan yeah. when he joins the NWO? When he starts wearing his, his shitty, like... I'm cosplaying as Steve Austin waistcoat. Okay, okay, that that's that. Um, uh, yeah, you can enjoy a lot of that in 2000. I I liked this match. I thought it was good. Um, yeah, I didn't like the walking brawl. Did you know? Um, I thought it was fun. I thought so it was much, a bit fun. I, I was kind of like there was a couple of good spots, but I'm just kind of like I think it's because they do it so much in WCW matches that I'm just like oh for fuck like and I'm two and a half hours into a pay per view at this point. I'm like, which well, is fucking wrap it up. Yeah, see, see, I enjoyed this one more than the uncensored one. I thought I thought mm. this one was a bit more fun, a bit more like it was a bit, even a bit more frantic, frantic. Um, yeah. And obviously, I was what again watching it with Connor, so Connor was a bit confused by why the flock were allowed to interfere, and he's just like, "Is it Raven drools every time he wrestles?" And I said, "You know, yeah." He said, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good question. Nobody Connor, knows, and he's obviously more more discerning. <laughs> Than most WCW fans at this like, point. I didn't want to get into the technicalities of explaining the contract negotiations between Nick Lambros and Raven, but you know, <laughs> even though you knew them, yeah, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> you're privy to this information. Uh, Michael um, Buffer out to earn a bomb for being shite next, because uh, it's time for the main event. <laughs> Again, um, just before Connor listening to Buffer, and Buffer's doing his little intro, and Connor just looks at the TV and goes. Stop saying rematch. <laughs> <laughs> as only as Michael only a six year old can, he's just like yeah. the greatest put down. <laughs> Michael Buffer getting critiqued by a six year old is everything you need to know about how fucking overrated that man was uh, at his job. Um, so Savage jumps Sting at the bell, and we get some wild brawling that spills outside. <laughs> And I don't know if it's that at this point I'm a little bit over Savage. Uh, hey Dave, did, I'm a little did bit you enjoy over this walking brawls. <laughs> yeah, I just gonna I'm a little bit over walking brawls or the fact that the pay per view has just felt so long the last half of it. But fuck me, I am burned out on this match. And it is, would you agree, the very bog standard for the most I, part of this match. This match is nothing special. Um I, I did like um Macho comes out and he walks out, he looks like a fucking star. Like Macho looks yeah. That's a man you want as your champion. Like um, the fucking yeah. the gear is top notch. Liz looks fucking phenomenal. Um, yeah, just everything about Macho at this time just looks fucking. He looks great. 
Yeah, look, you can question a lot of things like taking shortcuts and doing the walk and brawls and things like this at this point in his career. But one thing is for absolutely sure is that the man always backed himself, like looking like a million dollars. One of the absolute greats of all time, and there's no there's no taking that away from him here. Um, we we start heading towards the finish. Um, Liz comes in uh, to defend Randy, hits Sting with a chair, but like the wrong half of the chair. Um, Sting accidentally splashes Liz and as she's getting carted off uh, Savage goes for the elbow Hogan comes out knocks Savage off the top Sting is up to his feet hits the death drop all of a sudden Kevin Nash is here breaks up the pin jackknife rolls Savage onto Sting Savage wins Um, he is the new WCW champion Hogan is out and obviously appalled Uh, (laughs) and you had texted me that this happened you had texted me, have you watched the pay-per-view? And I said, no, I've only watched the first hour at this point. He said, why? And he goes, at least says to me, something about the Disciple at the end, you'll know when you see it. And I think it's because Disciple comes out and essentially plays the role of Damien Mizdow. Where he's just like mimicking the gestures and the facial expressions of Hogan here and saying things like, yes! And that's Kevin Nash. He goes <laughs> when Hogan comes out and is pointing at the ring, going, "That's my belt." Disciple just screams, "Yes, Nash, Nash." Yeah, that's Kevin Nash. And do you know what? <laughs> do you know what this reminds me of? And this is the second time I'll reference this show. It's like that episode where Father Jack gets taught new words. Yeah. Uh, we are one step short of the disciple saying that would be an ecumenical matter. Um. It was fucking absolutely preposterous. And this this was the closing thing we saw on the pay-per-view. I had to pause, even though it was the end of the show. I had to pause because I was laughing that much and Connor was just looking at me like, what's so funny? And I just couldn't what stop. A, just what a pathetic sack of shit that man is. Fuck. Like, this was the close of the pay-per-view. Like, unless you count the, the post-credits stinger for the next pay-per-view, Slamboree. Like, that was the closing. Like, if I saw that at the end, I'd be like, I never want to see that man again in my life. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Even just thinking of it. That man was getting paid God knows how much money. And all yeah. he can come out with is, yes, Nash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Kevin Nash. <laughs> Jesus. Like, think about the morons we've seen on this show. Ah, uh, mercy. Um... Before I, I, I get to our usual wrap-up, Lee, I'm going to hit on our finish counter where I uh, keep track on every show we do of uh, our matches and how they finished because uh, WCW was known uh, even more so than contemporary WWE is now for often taking shortcuts to get out of clean finishes on matches. So uh, for Spring Stampede 98, we have a grand count of 10 matches. We have six that finished clean. None that ended by DQ or countout. Four that finished with interference leading directly to a finish. And then none in my others category. Um, So it was funny because for the longest time on this show, there was like one non-clean finish. And then the back half of this show was just shenanigan city. Like they, they could have spread the last three matches out throughout the show. Or just come up with something other than someone interferes in the match That's ends. the end of the old. People have to interfere. Yeah, even do a DQ. You know what I mean? Um, but what, what the fuck, like? Um, and do, do, yeah, do you know it. what's funny? I didn't actually hate the show. I thought this was actually a good show. 
No, look, I enjoyed it. I think it's probably the weakest of the ones we've done so far. Um, and I think the back half, um, particularly um, the main event and the bat match, really dragged it down. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one of those things where the taste you're left with in your mouth at the end of a show is often what you think of the whole show. But there was, as you say, a lot of good stuff on this show as well. Yeah, like I think whereas uh, you didn't enjoy Raven DDP as much like i i quite did enjoy it even for all the shenanigans yeah. so i think that kind of mm. helped me say this is a, a good show like whereas you were probably a bit more down on it yeah a, a little bit i gotta say lee give me your winners and losers for spring stampede 1998 uh i actually didn't take note of them so i'll have to have a little think uh winners i think i i, th- I think i can give you mine yeah go on you want to, yeah go on to vamp right uh, so one of my big winners, uh, well, so my two big winners, I would say, Bobby Heenan, who had maybe his best mm. night uh, since we started doing this show. Absolutely fabulous and entertaining start to finish. Uh, I would also put uh, Perry Saturn, brilliant in defeat against Goldberg here, uh, has shown himself to be a proper badass, mm. uh, even against the unstoppable killing machine that is Billy Big Time. Uh, my big loser, Lee, uh, one you mightn't see coming, Bret Hart. Why? They spent a king's ransom to get this man six months prior. And where the fuck is he? No, we're on TV, so it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever about like whatever about Ric Flair, you know, Ric Flair probably should be, because he's Ric Flair, should be on pay-per-views, should be on TV. But you could also argue Ric Flair isn't a commodity as much anymore because he's been around the company donkey's mm. years. They have nothing for Bret Hart. Well, I'm sure they did, but it just kept, you know, that doesn't work for me, brother. Yeah, yeah. Not going to lose, brother. Um, yeah, um, no, I, so I, yeah, I, I can totally that. see that one. Um, I, and also, I'm the loser because I didn't get to listen to you suffer through another comment. <laughs> There'll be plenty more thunders, don't you worry. Um, uh, I think I have three winners. Uh, I'd have to say Benoit and Booker. Because yeah. I think both came out of their match stronger. Yeah, match of the night. Oh, easily. Without a doubt. And Jericho. Jericho was yeah. fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it feels like because we love him so much and he's one of my favourites of all time, I, I I always feel like if I give him my winner... It, or, or It's or almost a, a road answer, night, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's just Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, of course, I'm a little bit biased, but Jay, another fabulous showing from him tonight. Uh, my, my loser is um, Sting. Yeah. He lost the title. It was and, really an afterthought. Yeah, it was, it was not about him at all. Yeah. And, like, you think about how long they built him getting that title mm-hmm. up for. Like, it was what? And they they knew after Starcade that they'd fucked it, not just mm-hmm. giving it to him clean. You like, know? It's only five months, basically, since Starcade. Or, or yeah. four full months, actually, um, since Starcade. Uh-huh. Like, they got, what was it, a 1.2 buy rate? Yeah, that was. It's just it's, and like now, like they're taking the belt off Sting. Like it, it yeah. fucking, it, it's amazing. Like how badly they fucked it up. A poor dude. So feel for him. Um. Yeah, that's an absolutely fair one. A complete afterthought in his own main event, which is shocking. Um. That's gonna do it for another episode of Days of Thunder. Uh. We'll be back in two weeks talking uh, a brand new. 
uh, episode of Regular Thunder as we start on the road towards Slamboree. So for myself, Dave Ryan, and uh, Lee Malone here, uh, we'd like to thank you for listening in. Uh, follow us uh, at WCW Thunder Pod on Twitter. Follow me at the Dave Dave and Lee at Malone underscore seven one three. Uh, and yeah, uh, we'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Days of Thunder. I can see through the scars inside you. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside.